0: Welcome to this episode of Safe Home Podcast for struggling teens and their families finding their healing path. I am Beth Cyberson, a mom of an 18-year-old son, Joey, who's been dealing with drug addiction, depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation for several years. I am walking beside him as he struggles with his recovery while I work on my own personal growth and healing. Make sure and follow Safe Home Podcast on any of your social media that you love to use. We also publish our episodes on YouTube if that makes it easier for anybody. And we do have a Patreon account if anyone is interested in supporting us financially with a small donation. Patreon makes it very easy to donate once a month to podcasts and other artists that you love. So check us out patreon.com backslash home and we really appreciate your support. Now let's get to the episode. Today's episode is one that is near and dear to my heart since I am a lesbian married to a woman who is also a lesbian, that works out really well, and since our son Joey is also part of the LGBTQ Plus Alphabet Soup. Our guest, Elena Joy Thurston, has created an organization called Pride and Joy Foundation, which is dedicated to reducing the rate of suicide and homelessness in the LGBTQ community. Oh my goodness, I can so support that. In addition, she is an inspirational speaker, inclusion trainer, a writer, and a publisher. Elena Joy will share about her own experience as a lesbian mom, and I'm excited to find out how we can all get involved in her Pride and Joy Foundation. Welcome to Safe Home, Elena Joy. Thank you so much. This is awesome. This is going to be great. I'm so glad you're here. I, I watched your awesome TED Talk. I loved it. And I'll link it in the notes. And it talks about your coming out story and how you've used mindfulness to uh, navigate your coming out and your your new life. Can you give us a quick version here so we can understand your personal stake in this whole LGBTQ issue?
1: Yeah. So, I got married when I was 20. I was a member of the Mormon church and I immediately started to try to pop out babies. <laughs> That's what you and, do. <laughs> right. Um, by the time I was 32, I had four kids. And by the time I was 37, my youngest had gone off to kindergarten. And for the first time in almost two decades, I had six hours at a time to think for myself. Yeah. Yeah. That can get dangerous. <laughs> mm. um, there was a lot of, anxiety and depression going on but I didn't realize that because those were kind of shameful it was I I really believed along with most of the people that I went to church with that if you prayed enough and if you read your scriptures enough and if you attended church and all your meetings and did your calling and did all the things you were supposed to do then you would have the spirit with you and you would not feel negative feelings like anxiety Mm. and depression so the fact that I was feeling them was telling me like I'm not good enough. And that was shameful. And I didn't want to explore that at all. So those feelings had started. I mean, they'd always been there, Um, but I never knew how to take the blanket of shame off and actually examine them and question Mm -hmm. them and use some critical thinking skills. So by the time I was about 37, I just had this really persistent feeling that I didn't like my life. And I knew exactly how privileged and blessed my life was, right? We all enjoyed really good health. We had great schools. We lived in the neighborhood, right? (laughs) Like that was the life we were living. And so to feel on a daily basis that I didn't like my life was just shameful to me. Mm. And so hence, it took me many years (laughs) to figure out what was going on. Um, And eventually I got to a point where I was being very mindful of what my body was trying to tell me. I had tried to turn my body off for a long time Mm -hmm. because it's really considered like a source of temptation. It's the thing that's going to cause you to sin. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you, you don't, you're taught to not follow
0: your body. Yeah. It's like a wild animal. You can't ah, do it.
1: Exactly. So I'm in my late thirties and I finally start like trying to be in touch with my body. And, you know, it started with like, your last kid goes off to school. What do you do? You join a gym and you get your body back. There you go. (laughs) It started with that. And it ended with me realizing my body had been trying to tell me for years that it's not that my husband was a bad guy or I'm a bad person. We're just not meant to be in an intimate relationship together. Mm -hmm. And I was completely and totally in love with my best friend. So uh-huh. those two realizations, they came, and it's not an option to be gay in the church. Um, yeah. At least you you can be celibate and gay. You can do that, but you can't act on any of those feelings and and be a worthy member of the church. And so I went. I started a repentance process, and part of that process was enrolling myself in a conversion therapy program, hoping. Mm-hmm that I could get rid of this temptation, this sin,
0: right? I thought those were only for teens. They have those for like regular grownups too. Wow. They really do.
1: Yeah. And it's only illegal in 20 states. Although I have to say just in this past week, Canada and France enacted nationwide conversion therapy bans. Wow. Woo-hoo. It's amazing because prior to them, there were only three countries and the biggest one was Germany.
0: Wow! So
1: it's a That's really big deal. Yeah. It's kind of huge, and it actually yeah, it caused all kinds of emotions in me. But
0: we don't think about that. <laughs> oh gosh, another point. Um,
1: yeah. So that happened. The whole conversion therapy. I went for four days a week, two hours a day for six months, and that wow. was a little ridiculous. And 57% of participants end up suicidal. So that's
0: <gasps> where I was. 57%. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. And How a, and a Williams
1: even... Institute study just came out in 2020 that proved that 98% of participants will have lifetime suicidal ideation.
0: Wow. Yeah. Is that the case for you? Do you struggle with that? I
1: am still definitely struggling. It is not a daily struggle anymore. I am. I see my therapist regularly. I'm on meds regularly. I do all of these very intentional self-awareness exercises Mm -hmm. as well as the people closest to like suicide is not an ugly word in my home. Mm -hmm. Like we have to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Like my kids need to know that where I was and where Mm -hmm. I will probably be for the rest of my life. And the more I talk about it, you know, doing interviews like this and such, the more I feel like I'm integrating that part of me and not trying to shut it down. Mm -hmm. And that way I can actually deal with it. That way I can be aware and say, okay, this is a morning where I'm really struggling to stay here here's my plan, my implementation Mm -hmm. plan, right? Here are the people I contact. Here are the self-care things I do. Mm -hmm. I'm going to close those meetings that I had planned on my Mm -hmm. calendar because Mm -hmm. this is more important, right? Mm -hmm. And if I don't address it so blatantly, Mm -hmm. I'm not able to do that.
0: So so you keep it out in the open. If you don't ever talk about it, then it's easy to spiral down, right? Exactly. Especially if no one in your family or like if, if your supporters don't know Mm-hmm. that you're kind of going that direction, then nobody can help you. And then it exactly. could be too late. Wow. That's really important. And I think it's great that you're talking about it here because I think uh, one of the main purposes of this podcast is to reduce stigma in lots yeah. of things. So suicidal ideation, my son struggles with that every day mm-hmm. and it is it is gnarly. And uh, yeah. yeah, if we if we don't talk about it it's not like it's going to go away, right? Exactly. It. it just
1: gets bigger. <laughs> yep. Right? Yep. right. And and I learned my lesson. I don't want to learn it again, that anything I
0: cover with a blanket of shame in my brain, <laughs> it will bite me in the butt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just not a good, a good thing. The shame is not, not helpful, not helpful for just about anything. All right. Okay. So you got out of conversion therapy. I did. That must yeah. have been really tough.
1: Yeah, well, it was interesting because what was happening was the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. And we were seeing all these headlines that 75% of American women have been assaulted at some time in their lives. And my conversion therapist, I put that in air quotes, his premise was something happened to you when you were a child, a trauma that caused you to feel unsafe around men Mm -hmm. and that's why you think you're attracted to women so if we can heal that trauma then you won't be attracted to women anymore so I had been working for six months trying to heal yes an assault that had happened when I was when I was 15 Mm -hmm. and and I was convinced and he was convinced that was the reason Mm. I thought I was attracted to women but I spent six months reliving that experience and then saw that headline 75 (sighs) percent 75% 75% of American
0: women are not attracted to other women. No. <laughs> Those two That's things true. don't add yeah. up. It's not a consequence of. Right? It's, not it's the correlated, consequence of the
1: but it's not a consequence. Yeah. yeah. No.
0: Wow. So that, that must've really triggered a lot of feelings in you watching that on TV. And that was so terrible for so many women. Oh my gosh. So many.
1: And, and our stories were like ridiculously similar. So that was crazy hard, but also watching the men in my life, like Mm. my ex-husband or my then husband and my two oldest are boys as well. And they were teens at the time. And so, (gasps) watching them respond to what she was saying was one of the hardest experiences of my life.
0: Were they saying like she asked for it or she, she was she's or- lying. It was oh, just she's lying. It oh. was just, she's
1: lying. She's just trying to take him down. Oh. She She has an agenda. Like it was that kind of stuff. And that really opened my eyes to realizing, oh. I mean, so many different gender issues and survivor issues and, and, I think that's when my bubble burst. You know, not only was the conversion therapy a scam, but this system, this heteropatriarchal system that is in place that I've been a part of, it really opened my eyes in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, you're swimming in it from birth, right? We don't Mm -hmm. even realize it until something happens Mm -hmm. where you go, oh, crap. This sucks. Yeah. This is terrible. We need to fix this uh, for, for each of us individually and just for the whole culture to survive.
1: Cause it's, it's not serving anyone. No, not, anyone. not,
0: not the men either. Right. Mm-mm. It's not. Oh, there's so much work to do. <laughs> uh. Okay. So uh, I assume you eventually got divorced cause you called yeah. him ex-husband. So you got divorced. Yeah. That should have that probably was not so fun. Not so great, uh, no. <laughs> not Usually not usually a good time, but especially with all those shame layers and constrictions of your religion. So yeah. and you and you had your four kids. How did how did your kids manage that? And
1: yeah. Um, they're doing well. There's definitely still issues, especially considering the fact that dad is still very Mormon and mom is obviously very not. Mm-hmm. So there's definite issues there. But honestly, I was worried I wouldn't even get custody of my kids. Like oh. I had been taught for so long that like, this is wickedness. Mm-hmm. No, like you can't be happy. You can't be successful. Like I honestly, when I filed for divorce, I was like 80% sure I wouldn't get any custody of my kids Wow. just because not because I was a drug addict or right. an alcoholic or like an abuser of any
0: kind. Yeah. It was just because of my sexuality. You know, it's really strange because right when you were saying that, I realized, because looking back, I got divorced when my son was four or I left him when he was four and it took us a long time to get divorced because he was an ass. But (laughs) um, I I should have fought harder for him, but I think it was because I was a lesbian and I'm in Orange County and I was like, nobody is going to, I wasn't afraid I was going to lose him completely. But I, I, was like, no judge is gonna ever, right? Give him to me, a man or a lesbian? Are you kidding? So it. Yeah. I just realized that when you were just saying that, that's terrible. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, internalized homophobia. Oh yeah. its Ugly head. Yeah, and like you, I didn't come out. I didn't know. I didn't. It wasn't even on my radar until right. after I got divorced. Like, oh that's why I've always had trouble with men. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And so, oh my goodness, it's crazy. Oh goodness. And I also had all those shame layers from my religion growing up and, uh, you know, just generations of shame just piled on. So it's tough. So how did you go from, you know, being so wounded and, um, I don't know, kind of fragile and just like trying to make it on your own. And then now you have a foundation to help (laughs) LGBTQ people. I mean, that's a big jump. Amen, sister. It really (laughs) is. And I look
1: back and I'm like, I don't even know how this happened, but it did. I had spent, yeah, it took us a really long time to get divorced as well. And during the divorce, I was Trying to get a job. I'd been a stay at home mom for almost 20 ah, years. Like, yeah. I had run a photography business for 10 years. So I had done like entrepreneurship, but no one really cares about that on your resume. And 80% of my clients were Mormon. And so when I came out within a month, I lost all of my clients. Oh, sure. Yep. So that wasn't going to pay any bills. So I was applying, applying. I applied for 166 jobs <gasps> and I got one interview yeah Whoa. so then it was it felt like my body was telling me you, sh- you got to open your own business you got to um, just be in charge because yeah. that way you can be in charge of your own schedule you can like if the kids need you right like all of that and so I met with a business coach and I was like this is my story I don't know what to do and she was like oh this is valuable <laughs> Okay. Like you are not the only woman that is going through this. Like yeah. you can turn this into a business absolutely for sure. But you have to get some validity first. So it's either got to be write it write and publish a book or get a TED talk. And I was like, "Oh, I can do a TED talk." You know <laughs> the talk? book felt intense, but <laughs> I could do a TED talk. And so I worked with a speaking coach for four months and applied, got the TED talk. It went live in November of 2019. Uh-huh. I started setting up all these speaking engagements all over the country, so excited. And then March of 2020 hit and it all went away. And I was face down on the couch as I started getting all these messages from queer college students that I was supposed to go and talk to. Mm. And they were saying, I had just come out. I had waited till I graduated from Mm. high school to come out. And now I've just been sent home with no notice Every the world is shut down. I feel so alone. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, I know that feeling. And yeah. I needed to I like I could either sit on that couch and rot or I could help them. And mm-hmm. so I started the foundation.
0: <laughs> okay. Wow. Well, and there's so much speak you probably didn't know it then. And you probably had no idea how long this thing would last, but right. uh the COVID thing, I mean. But have you been able to do speaking on Zoom? were you able to pivot Mm -hmm. and do some things on zoom?
1: Yeah. Eventually everything did pivot to zoom and yeah, I've been doing regular speaking engagements, which is fabulous. I think what happened in there was my realization as these kids reached out to me, I had been really focused on people like me, right? That's your ideal client avatar, right? Like who you were five years ago. That's who I had really been marketing Mm -hmm. to. And the colleges just kind of happened. Uh And so then when I heard from them. And they were feeling all the same things I was feeling, like I just came out, and now all the gay bars are shut down. Like, yeah, that, that sucks. what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> so then it was realizing they were at such risk for suicide. Like, as our suicide rates skyrocketed during the pandemic, that oh, first year, wow. I realized I know that pit. Mm-hmm. I know what that feels like. I know what it's like to feel like your own head is not a safe place to be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And how do you escape yourself?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And when, when the pain is so much that it's not that you're really wanting to end your life. You're just wanting to stop the pain. Yeah. Like I knew all of that and I wasn't willing to let other people's babies go through that. Right. So then it and- was time. Like we got
0: to fix this. Yeah. And you had the gift of, wisdom that came from maturity. You know, you had 20 years or whatever on these college kids, but you had recently experienced similar things. So it's an interesting, you are in an interesting juncture where you could be of service, even while you're still dealing with your own, um, the impact of you coming out and growing into who you are. That's, that's wonderful. So is that your primary uh, clients or your focus right now is the college age kids Oh honey teenagers. we got so much
1: going on <laughs> <laughs> Tell me tell me So we have the suicide awareness and prevention workshops that we do for LGBTQ college centers mm-hmm. Um we have grants that fund those. And so we get to do those for free, which is awesome. Oh, great. And because of COVID, we can do them virtually, which is also nice. awesome. So we can keep them very low cost. Mm-hmm. And that, which means we're able to do more of them. The grant can go farther. And we target rural universities. Oh. So not your majors, because they usually have enough resources for the yeah. LGBT center, right? And their mental health support and all yeah. of that. No, we go to like southeastern Missouri. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, Yeah,
1: like go small schools, whose kids, like, not only are we providing a resource that they might not have gotten other ways, but also many of those kids at those rural schools they've never really interacted with professional LGBTQ people. Like they don't know how to like show up to interviews as themselves or find companies that are inclusive. Right. So we try to like drop that in there as well, or even do a whole separate workshop just on Uh being queer and having a great career. Right. So it's really a great, Two pronged thing. We're able to go in and talk about what is suicide really? Let's remove the stigma. Mm-hmm. What are the resources besides calling 911, right? Mm-hmm. That are yeah. available in your area? What are some questions you can ask your roommate if you're concerned about them, right? Mm-hmm. Like little things like that. But then also, like, I hate the term, it gets better, Mm. but there is something about seeing someone 20 years out from you (laughs) Mm -hmm. who's living a really happy, successful, fulfilled life.
0: Yeah. And some of those kids from small towns probably have never seen that. Right. I mean, I grew up like, that's why it was never on my radar. I didn't grow up with, I didn't know gay people, maybe Billie Jean King, but she was derided, you know, my my culture. It was like, God, she's so butch. Why isn't she just a man? You know, right? (laughs) that kind of thing. So um, yeah, it, it, I didn't see it, and back then, well, I guess Ellen came out when I was probably in late high school. Yeah, that was probably yep. the biggest. That was the thing. Big event. What? <laughs> I didn't even know what to do with that. But yeah, yeah if you're in a small town or a, kind of a conservative area, mm-hmm. they won't they won't see that. So they, how do you get them to come to your workshop? Do you say, "All the queer people, come over here," you know? <laughs> how do they come we usually leave it
1: up to the school to promote it um okay but it really is like we compare it to like a cpr workshop like you go for an afternoon does that mean you're a heart surgeon no but does it mean you have the skills to intervene in a crisis yes and so it is it's considered like come for an hour and a half learn some skills and then if your roommate or your friends, or maybe yourself uh-huh. is in crisis, you're going to have some tools and resources.
0: Oh, you go like, oh, help your friends. Yeah. Oh, no. yeah, yeah. That's
1: a good. It, we use, um, you know, suicide hotlines are a great line of defense, but they should be the last, not the first. Like yeah, we in the community should be actual looking people, out for each
0: other. Yeah. Actual people are in, in the, that you can go talk to are probably yeah. more valuable. They actually already know you. Wow. So you said suicide rates are way worse for LGBTQ since COVID started in 2020. What else? uh, You know, self harm. Are there other statistics or general? maybe just from being out with lots of people, how are we doing? <laughs>
1: right. Um, self farm is definitely skyrocketing and we're actually doing a parent workshop. That's one of our sections that we have. We have pride and joy parents, which we meet, we try to meet quarterly and we bring in an expert to help us. Answer all those questions. And Mm -hmm. so in November, it was our suicide awareness one, very similar to what we do at the college campuses. But coming up in February is going to be all about self harm. We actually have a lesbian psychologist who works in a high school. She'll be coming, and parents will be able to ask all the questions about how do I spot self harm? What is it really? What are the Mm -hmm. common ways? How do I talk about it? How do I deal with it? How do I find a therapist, right? Like Mm -hmm. all the things. So self harm is definitely rising um and and i personally i feel like it has a lot to do with just not feeling in control of their own body you know mm-hmm. the fact is is we're living in a global pandemic yeah and we're trying to make all the right choices but it never feels like we're making the right choices And so when we have a child who's growing and figuring out their body and they're dealing with a constant threat to their body, it's going to manifest somehow. And oftentimes it's self-harm. But one cool thing that has come out of the pandemic that I think has been really helpful, like parallel things. One is that there's been a lot of research just in the last three years, maybe, uh, about the correlation between being LGBTQ and neurodiversity. And then the other part of that prong is that we're all sitting around at home staring at our social media and other people are realizing like, oh, I didn't realize autism manifested like this, or I didn't realize ADD manifested like this. And so you're having all these people actually talking about how they experience life and how they take in information and what manifests for them. And so what has been incredible, there's an article about this on our blog, is that I think the overlap now is like 40% of neurodiverse people are also LGBTQ.
0: Wow. That's a big chunk. Now neurodiverse, some people might not know what all that encompasses. Yeah. I used to think it was just autism, but it's not just autism. No.
1: Yeah. It's autism spectrum disorder, as well as ADD, ADHD, uh, sensory, sensory issues are included in there. So, yeah, it's a pretty wide range. And I really love the term neurodiverse because it really allows it to me. It's like LGBTQ, right? It allows us to find our place
0: within it, but we're not locked into a box. Mm-hmm. We're just different, right? Diverse, yeah. just different. Um, everybody's different anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Truth. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So once a quarter, you you specifically talk with parents, Yeah. what from from being with the the kid, the teens and the young adults, what are they needing from their parents? What are they, what are they not getting?
1: Thank you for asking this question because almost no one does. And I really appreciate that. So this has just come to be very clear for me in the last three or four months. There are parents who don't even want to hear about it and their kids know, so their kids are not out mm-hmm. to them. There are parents, we'll say on the other end of the spectrum is parents like me, when my 13 year old daughter came out, like I had a lot of resources at my fingertips because I'm also out. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the support was very easy Mm -hmm. in this home. Mm -hmm. Okay. But in the middle Mm -hmm. is where like 90% of parents lie. Mm -hmm. And what I'm realizing is their kids are coming out to them. The parents are saying, I love you no matter what. And then the conversation ends. Yeah, and the kids need so much more than that. LGBTQ children are one of the only populations marginalized populations born to parents not of the same marginalized population. Oh. Right? When you have a black child born to black parents, mm-hmm. that child is growing up with the stories, the culture, the tips, the tricks, yeah. like all the things, right? When you have an LGBTQ child or the other population is the deaf population, born to parents, not of the same marginalized population, their culture is not innate in their home. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. You know, they hear the words, I love you no matter what, Yeah, but what they're not seeing is
0: I'm like you. Right. They're feeling like an outsider in their own family. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I can totally relate to that. Wow, so parents should educate themselves, go to yeah. workshops, for instance, and uh, open up the conversation with their kids after for they come sure. out. Not for to sure. say, so, "Okay, I love you no matter what," and then we're not absolutely. About it. The first thing I suggest is a couple
1: of books. One of them is called Queer Agenda. Um, It is by Chess Needham. You can find it anywhere. It is like the most amazing book because not only are the illustrations like works of art, but also it's like part history book and part like current day language and culture book. Oh, nice. And so you get to like anyone who reads that book, whether you're queer or an ally, you learn history that you never knew before. Mm. You didn't I didn't know how we got to the point where like the U.S. government didn't want to employ homosexuals. Wow. But through that book, you can see the logic and how it got there. Um, so that opens up a whole new world. And I actually keep that book like literally on my coffee table because mm-hmm. every kid that comes into my home wants to read it. Every oh, interesting. single one. Okay. Yeah, it's so cool. Huh. And then there's another book called The 50 Gay States. And it goes through literally every single state and talks about like the prominent queer people, the places, the historical places, like that, that one reads like a textbook, like it's massive, but literally just by having those two books and doing a cursory overview of them, your kid feels like you're on their side.
0: Okay. And that you're
1: now part of the community as an ally Mm -hmm. that needs to happen. And it doesn't happen if all you say is I love you no matter what. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now, what if just by chance, some parents said, I love you no matter what, but you know what we think about that. Yeah. You know, we love the, what is it? Love the sinner, hate love the, sin. the sinner. How, hate the sin. how does that work for you? <laughs> <laughs> God, that is like a knife cutting into your heart. It's horrible.
1: It really is.
0: Yeah. It, it it bothers me so much because I'm like, I am not sinning. It is not a sin. It, and some people in my life have compared it to, well, you know, Jesus loved the robber and the prostitute and the blah, blah, blah. I don't think prostitution is a sin either, but Jesus loved the sinners anyway. Like, but there's no anyway, there's no, there's no anyway. <sighs> no, it's so painful. It really
1: is. And it's so sad because so many parents do say those words. And then five, 10 years later, they're a strong ally, right? Yeah. Yep. But unfortunately, your kid will always remember those words.
0: Yeah. Those I remember it from all
1: of my in laws. I mean, I was the first one married into that family. So I was with that family for two decades. Yeah, like it's your family. They were my family yeah, every Sunday night right like yeah. they were there for all my babies being born the whole thing and then to hear them say we love you Elena no matter what we just don't condone your choice yes oh that sounds so familiar yeah, yeah. what do you do with that uh yeah that's that sat in my heart for a long time and I honestly I don't know that I can say that I'm over that Mm -hmm. Um, it would go a long way if anyone in that family could Mm -hmm. like say, I know we said this to you, we communicated this to you. And now we realize that that was not a good choice of words.
0: Well, in the word choice, we don't condone your choice as if being gay is a choice in Mm -hmm. the first place. That's right. Oh, I guess in the church, they were saying, yeah, it is a choice for you to act on it or be celibate the rest of your life. So I guess in their view, it was a choice, but I don't think it's a choice. Ugh. Sometimes, no, sometimes I see, and I see this coming up about gender all over the place. I know we're talking about um, gayness right now, but it's kind of you work with LGBTs mm-hmm. and yeah, gender is a big and issue. And I I see parents all the time on these parent groups saying, "Oh, my kid just decided to be trans, or just decided to be gender mm-hmm. nonconforming," and they just decided and oh my gosh, is this just a phase? What is going mm-hmm. on with all these kids mm-hmm. who are coming out? Is oh, this my, a trend? They're just trying trend, to be like a cool yes. kid. And I, I think it's awesome because the kids hopefully are more open and more mm. flexible, more fluid with their gender, which is awesome because I don't think it's just two genders. And the parents just, I, I sometimes ask them, well, when did you realize that you were whatever gender you are. How old were you? I think you were like zero or three, maybe when you realized, mm-hmm. oh, oh, I'm a girl or I'm a boy. Um, um it, it's not some people I've seen were saying she's 13. That's way too young to know what gender you are. I'm like, <laughs> no, it's, <not. laughs> it's really not. No, it is not. Now, Gen Z is going to
1: change the world. Yeah. So one of the most amazing statistics that I found is that if you break it up by generation boomers identify as lgbtq at maybe 5% and then you've got gen x my generation and we are identifying as lgbtq maybe 8 to 10% depending okay. on which study you look at right and then you've got millennials who are identifying as lgbtq right around 10 to 15% depending oh, okay. on which study right mm-hmm. And then you've got Gen Z, (laughs) who are currently 14 to 25, right about in there. And if you give them the same question that you gave all the other generations, they're going to respond as LGBTQ identifying right around 15 to 20%. But if you change the question, which happened Mm. by a major uh, data company, they asked, do you identify as strictly heterosexual? Oh, and an 33%. Question. 30% 30%. Wow, One in three. One so
0: these, in three. these people that are noticing these quote unquote trends in schools. Well, that's, that's because a third of us are, are queer. That's right. Right. And queer. I, I I know some people kind of bristle at that word. I think uh, you use the word queer, right? I do. Um, it just kind of covers everything, right?
1: It does. <laughs> it's just like all the mouse- diverse, yeah. divergent people, right? When I ask about, or when I'm asked in like corporate trainings, like, what about this word queer? What I often say is, I'm 42. If I'm speaking to an audience that's my age or older, I am not going to use that word Mm. because their experiences with that word, like, I can't even begin to imagine. Mm. Right. If I'm speaking to an audience my age or younger, I am going to use that word because they have reclaimed it, and Mm -hmm. they feel like it is a beautiful umbrella that encompasses the entire community in a protective way, and allows them to be fluid within that umbrella. Right, right,
0: right, right, right.
1: Yeah, I do use
0: it. You get rid of those alphabet soups, you know, Q, I, A, you know, plus plus plus, and I don't know what all those letters are anymore, you know. But if you just allow it to be queer, and just people are on a gender and a sexual identity spectrum, right? Yeah. Like they and they're free to go and move along that spectrum, right? No mm-hmm. one's stuck where they are either. People grow and maybe realize, "Oh, I I want to move a little bit more this direction." Or maybe I feel more fluid in my gender over here. Mm-hmm. So I think I think it's going in a, I think it's going in a beautiful direction with the the kids that I'm seeing um, I did now I was, yeah. when, when my son was in school, I was like, okay, Joey's generation is going to fix all this. And, <laughs> was, and, and when I, I knew, I figured I was gay when he was five and then I got married or not, we didn't get married yet. Cause we couldn't, but, um, until 2013, but, uh, when we got together, I thought, okay, Joey's going to be okay with having gay moms because his generation is. Fine, they're like whatever. Who cares? That was not true in my son's case. He went to school in Huntington Beach, which is really, really white supremacist and conservative. And oh, it you was, are not lying.
1: That area is a little nutty.
0: It is terrible. You know, we live in a so, super blue state. I live in, uh, I live it up at up in LA, which is super duper blue. But Huntington Beach and that area is so, so not. And mm-hmm. he got teased relentlessly for having gay parents and I, I feel terrible about that. And I, 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 I'm not going to not be gay because of it, but I feel terrible Mm. and I didn't realize it. Yeah. Tell me, they don't tell you, they don't
1: tell you, they know (sighs) not to tell you.
0: Oh, so it, I, I, and now maybe this newer generation is even younger than him, or perhaps it's just, it'll take a while to get this into Huntington beach. (laughs) Well, I'll tell
1: you what, I have a 19 year old and a 17 year old
0: and those and first of all where we live is
1: literally 80 percent Mormon we are in Arizona but we are in a very concentrated area so literally our congressional district supplied the most people to the January 6th event out of the entire country that's where we
0: live okay
1: so we're and my kids go to school with their kids my 17 and 19 year old definitely experienced like I don't think I want to tell people even that my parents are divorced, let alone uh, that my mom is gay. Oh right? However, my 13 year old and my 11 year old. Oh, they could give a rip. <laughs> They're telling the world. And when their teachers have comments for them, which they do, like my girls will shoot it right back at them. Like they mm-hmm. have no problem and they will get in your face if you think that there's a problem with them having lesbian moms.
0: So oh, wow. it's fascinating just that. That's difference. just a couple of years. What do, you, yeah. what do you attribute that difference to? Is it something shifted in the culture?
1: Yes. I do think it shifted in the culture. I do think both of my girls have kids in their classes that cons- that identify as non-binary mm-hmm. or trans. And so they are looking at it as their classmates and okay. my girls are very protective of their classmates. And mm-hmm. so they're not going to let anyone write on them either kind of thing. Um, whereas I'm sure my boys have classmates that are non-binary or trans, but they're not very visible. hmm to my boys. And so I don't think that they feel like that personal connection to their peers in that way.
0: Well, I hope that maybe in another generation or two they'll be like, "What? People used to I you know. know, treat people badly because they were gender nonconforming or whatever it is? Right? People used to think there were they, only two they, genders?" Yeah, <laughs> oh my gosh, how stupid were they? <laughs> how narrow-minded they were. Yeah, I feel like we're at a pivot point and I think COVID kind of even though it's made practically everything worse, I think it's forcing us to really look at some stuff. And maybe... Okay, Mm
1: -hmm. seriously, Beth, can you imagine if you had been quarantined with your (gasps) (laughs) ex-husband? Like, if it were me, like one of us would not be alive today. (laughs) Like that would not have gone well. So I really do feel like the pandemic has really forced people to realize like one, life is short. And two... I am stuck with this person twenty-four hours a day, and I'm not distracted by a hundred million other things. Yes. This is really making me question how I feel about myself and how I feel about them.
0: Yeah, it's really peeled away a bunch of of layers and forces to really look at ourselves in so many different ways. Wow. Well, if we all uh, can just get through this somehow, yeah. um, and gosh, we've lost so many people that we're not na- we're not able to get through it. They they. um, succumb to this horrible disease but the ones that can get through it if we can learn from it I think that that would be something it could be an amazing pivot
1: point for our world they could look back
0: and go that pandemic really made these shifts well maybe Mm -hmm. maybe it will help although it sounds like so far it's been detrimental but I think if we if we keep pushing on and keep just living our truth and people like you Elena Joy that are that are out there talking about your truth and your authentic self. I think the more people that do that, the more people go, oh, I don't have to live a lie. I don't have to pretend to be someone I'm not. I can just be who I am. And there are people in the world that will accept me. What, what can we all do to support your wonderful organization that is helping LGBTQ people? What, um, what can we do to help you? You know what would be the most
1: helpful, honestly? A lot of our funding, we don't, we do solicit for donations once in a while. Um, Like if you come to a Pride and Joy parent's workshop, we ask you to donate something, literally as little as a dollar. The average donation is like $12. We don't want to force our own community to support the resources right Mm -hmm. like financially that's hard and so a huge part of our program is that we go into organizations like corporations or town governments or local governments and we teach what inclusion actually is Mm -hmm. we teach what words to use and what words not to use we teach how to respond when someone comes out to you and why you shouldn't respond in certain ways right like really like wonderful basic inclusion concepts and Mm -hmm. the corporations and the governments they pay for those and we can take that money and then and put it towards our own community right so if you have an employer uh, a manager someone who would appreciate that kind of information um, because it really does affect the bottom line like it's not a hard sell because Mm -hmm. Diverse and inclusive companies are 2.3 times more profitable, according to Harvard Business. Oh, nice. So it's not a hard sell necessarily. Once they realize that we can do it in a very non-judgmental way, that we're not trying to force everyone into some gay agenda, right? right. Like once they realize it's a conversation just like this, yeah. then it's not a hard sell. Um, but we getting in the door is the hard part. So anyone who can open that door for us, it goes a huge, long way.
0: Okay, everybody, think about your employer, your um, organizations that you know. That's a great idea, because uh, yeah, DEI is that what it's called? Yeah, DEI, yeah. DEI is huge right now, really and companies is. are willing to to do it because they they need to. They yeah. need to. Yeah. I, I love you, you mentioned gay agenda. I love that people think there's a gay agenda. Sometimes <laughs> when my wife and I are like doing laundry or like you know schlepping our kid to baseball or whatever we're like yeah I guess this is the gay agenda I don't know we have no master plan of this whole thing it's like what do you think we're gonna do to you I don't I've always thought that was kind of funny what okay have you ever experienced
1: like a friend a straight friend being like well I'm kind of worried you're gonna hit on me now that you're out and I want to be like honey you are not my type (laughs) (laughs) just because I'm a lesbian doesn't mean like uh, yeah, I'm going around looking at all of
0: the, all women the girls, like, come on. It does shift though. I I think that is funny too, but it does shift your relationships with your girlfriend. Your
1: girlfriend. It's it
0: really strange because it used to be like you your girlfriends, you and you all had husbands or boyfriends. And right. All... So you had
1: that common mm-hmm. language. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. It does kind of change some dynamics there. I've noticed that. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, do you want to talk about your publishing company? Oh, I'd love to. I'm yeah. really excited about that project.
1: So we started Pride and Joy Publishing last year and we published our first book, which is a compilation of tips and tricks from different queer business leaders. Everyone from the self-help space to corporate, to freelancers, like everyone, I'm in there, everyone's in there. And it is in, within a week of coming out, it hit number one on four different lists, including women's studies, which was awesome, and LGBT studies. And we are actually petitioning the Library of Congress to create a category called non-binary studies. (gasps) Nice. Yeah. So hoping to get that through, but, so that was like a really beautiful accomplishment but what was truly amazing with it was probably about half of the authors in the book had never been published before and they had it like on a huge bucket list to be a published author and to work with that was truly incredible it changed their lives putting together this book right which wasn't the hardest thing I've ever done. So once it was all done and I realized how the impact that it made, not just on the audience, but on the authors themselves, mm-hmm. that's when it was like, oh, we're doing this more. Yeah. <laughs> like, we are, we are giving LGBTQ authors a voice and mm-hmm. we're going to amplify it. And yeah, it's pretty fun.
0: Have Have any of those initial authors in that compilation project, have they gone on to work on their own
1: Oh yeah. Um, Probably four of them are working on their own. Um, and we're just waiting for the manuscript. We can't wait to publish it for them.
0: Oh my gosh. So if somebody has a story, is it mainly memoirs and that kind of thing that you're working with or? Right.
1: So we do, it's called prescriptive nonfiction. So that's memoirs or self-help or empowerment books. The goal is to empower the community and to give voice to queer.
0: So who has a book like that inside you? Yeah. Joy. What's your publishing company called? Is it just part and Joy Publishing? Pride Joy Publishing. Yep. So Pride Joy Foundation, Pride Joy Publishing. Is there anything else uh, that you would like to talk about about well, your we're organization? So ex-
1: thank you. I appreciate that because we're so excited. We are starting a program last fall. Let me back up. Last fall, we wanted to help these LGBTQ business owners as well because what often happens is that LGBTQ people can't find an inclusive workplace, they can't find a place where they can be authentic. And so they often at a higher rate than straight people go off and strike it off on their own and Uh develop their own companies. Yeah. So because that's where they can truly be themselves, right? And so we wanted to find a way to help these LGBTQ business owners. And it started with public speaking. So we did a six week course called keynote queers. And I taught it along with my TEDx speaking coach, and it was fabulous. And multiple people ended up with talks that I for sure could be on the TED stage if they wanted to. It was incredible. And then we decided to to switch the focus for spring for writers. So we're starting a program called Outright Authors, Mm. and it is a six-week writing intensive focused on memoir or other nonfiction and we are working with the most amazing late-in-life lesbian who's also a book coach who graduated from Yale Law. Like, she's amazing, and she's also, like, she's a generation older than me, and so every time I get to talk to her, man, who knew I needed a lesbian mom, but I really did. (laughs)
0: There's something about that, isn't it?
1: There's something about that. So I'm so honored to be able to work with her and we'll be launching that this spring for sure.
0: Wow. That sounds amazing. That sounds really great. There's so many people that have a story in them, but they just have no idea where to even begin.
1: Yes, exactly. And it's like, oh my gosh, come be with us, fellow queer people. And let your hair down and let us help you build the foundation, write the outline, so that for the rest of 2022, if you actually want to write this book, it's going to be so much easier for you.
0: Wow. Well, I'm sure there are lots of people that are going to grab onto that. That's an awesome opportunity. Well, you're doing so many amazing things. Did you know you had all this in you? No. When you're, you know, (laughs) taking care of the house and your four kids. Right? And I was a Cub Scout leader for
1: like a million years. Like I didn't realize that, I mean, that job was like 20 to 30 hours a week for 11 years. And so now I'm realizing like, wow, I did a lot to build up a Cub Scout program. What did I do to build like
0: my own business, my own career, my own stuff? Yeah. But you use those same skills, I'm sure. Yeah, the, the skills of the that you learned, the, the networking, and the <laughs> how sure, to get people sure. to volunteer for stuff, and oh. yeah, well, that's interesting. I going back to when you said you were having trouble finding a job, you put in 160 applications. It's that patriarchy that says women working at home is yeah. not; it doesn't count. That's right. It doesn't go on your resume. It whatever. Even I had
1: so many skills. Yeah, yeah. and all that
0: experience. Um, you had basically a job, well, two jobs: parenting. And keeping the house going and Cub Scouts sounds like a huge part-time job, but it didn't, it didn't count. It didn't uh, click the right boxes. No, it didn't
1: qualify me to actually earn an income.
0: Wow. Well, I'm glad you figured out to do it on your own because you're doing awesome work. I'm really proud of you. I'm just excited to know you and i'm sure our paths will cross again i really yes. want to i really want to do a ted talk so i've got to talk to oh. you about that <laughs> oh we got that we can do that <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my goals one of my dreams oh well it's been wonderful getting to know you and hearing all about your wonderful things i hope lots of people look you up and i wish you all the best thank you all for listening it's been great having you thank you for your support of safe home podcast And Elena Joy and I want you to stay stay safe. safe.